Well, good morning. It's always a pleasure to be here in the house of the Lord together as we seek to glorify our God and worship Him. And part of our worship services includes always a time dedicated to hearing from God's Word. And this morning, we're continuing our series through the book of Ecclesiastes, and our desire is that we would not invent what God has said, but we would hear directly from Him and the Scripture that He has given to us. I would draw your attention to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We were going to be considering the first 12 verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And it is important for us to hear what God has said and live according to what He is commanding us to do. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting from verse 1 all the way to verse 12. This is the word of the Lord. But all this I lay to heart, examining it it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. The hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go on to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward." For their memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. And forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy Life with the woman whom you love, all the days of your vain life that is given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like a fish that is taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. Let us pray. Father, it is 
our great privilege to sit here and listen from your word. And I pray, Father, that you would bind our attention, that we would be attentive to what you have to say to us this morning. Father, I pray that you would use this time, and I ask that your spirit would preach a better sermon than I could ever preach, that our hearts would be pierced by your word, and that we would find in them our hope and our comfort even today, as the world continues to preach to us false gospels and false and false indications of truth. So, Father, make this time fruitful. By the power of your Spirit, we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. If you've ever taken a, a trip, you know that the destination of your trip determines how you prepare for the journey. Where you are going determines how you travel. If you're going to a cruise in, in, on the island of Hawaii, you're not going to take the same equipment as if you were going to do an excursion in the North Pole in uh, Canada or Alaska. Where you are going determines how you travel, how you are journeying. It would be foolish to take hiking gear to go to the beach. Where you are going determines how you travel. The book of Ecclesiastes, like we have mentioned before, is a book of wisdom. It's a philosophical book. It's asking about the deep questions of life. And the preacher minces no words in letting us all know where we are headed. And we are all headed toward death. All of us in this room will travel many places during our lifetime. But there will be a place that we will all go to. And that is to the graveyard. The only thing that can save us from the graveyard is if our Lord Jesus returns before our death. But if that does not occur, you have one guarantee. Clayton talked about taxes last week. We are talking about death this week. By the time our gathering together this morning is over, you will be closer to your death than when you arrived this morning. The question is, what are we going to do with the impending death that we all face? How are we ought to live our lives? How must we navigate this treacherous and difficult and often brutal world in wisdom? If we are headed toward death, the question that we ought to come under and answer is, how are we to live in wisdom in this brief and momentary life? The answer that we get from the preacher this morning is that we are to live cherishing God's good gifts today. That is how we live in wisdom. That is how we live in the knowledge of God. We are to cherish God's good gifts today. 
The question is, how do we do that? How are we to cherish God's good gifts? The preacher makes three observations. Number one, we embrace the uncertainty of life. Number two, we acknowledge the certainty of death. And three, we cherish our God-given gifts. So we embrace the uncertainty of life. Realize that life is unpredictable. We must realize that life can't be contained. We have no sovereign control over the events of our lives. And we must embrace the uncertainty. But we cherish God's good gifts today by embracing the uncertainty of life because God is in control. Again, we look at our verses that we have read. The preacher once again speaks about his examination. Like a good doctor who examines an x-ray after an MRI, checking to see if there is any cancer or any malady, the preacher has examined life. And just like any examine renders conclusion, the preacher has arrived and developed a conclusion. His conclusion is that life is full of uncertainties. That life is full of perplexing uncertainties. He has done the math, and it seems in this life that one plus one does not always equal two. For some reason, things don't turn out as we think they should. Deep down, we just don't know, and that makes us ask the question, why? It lingers in the back of our minds. We're always questioning. The preacher says that life is difficult and uncertain, and at times, good and righteous people don't know if what is happening to them is because they're under God's love or under God's hate. Look at verse 1. He says, I examined all... How the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. Or we can read the last part of verse 1. The righteous and the wise and their works are all done in the hand of God. However, no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. The deeds of the righteous and the wise in the hands of God are in the hands of God, but the outcomes of those deeds are unknown to us. How they will pan out, we don't know. The problem we encounter when we analyze life is that we can only observe outcomes. But the reasoning behind the outcomes, the reasons why things happen the way they happen, it's a mystery many times to us. And that's frustrating. We are the proverbial two-year-old constantly asking, why? What does this mean? Does this mean God loves me or does this mean God is upset at me? Why did this or that happen? Yesterday, I was cleaning my car and there was a dad and a little girl walking together and that they, they were uh, walking together and talking and all of a sudden, I hear the bells from the train, the gate for the train uh, started to sound. And the little girl asked the dad, what does that mean? The dad went on to explain to the little girl, 
It means that a train is coming. For her, all she knew was that the gates were making noise and they were coming down. She didn't know what it meant. Sometimes we want to inquire of God as that girl inquired of her father. We say, God, but why? What does this mean? No one knows whether love or hate awaits them. No one knows what we are going to encounter in this life. I usually don't go to Forrest Gump for philosophy, but his mom was right. Life is like a box of chocolate, and sometimes you don't know what you're going to get. And when we encounter circumstances in our lives, we are always prone to ask, what does this mean? Searching for that answer, we usually fall into two categories that the preacher has laid out for us. We think either God loves us or is displeased with us. You hear the gates making the noise as that little girl, don't you? And like that little girl, you ask God, what does this mean? You get the job you wanted. Does that mean God loves me? You're diagnosed with illness. Does that mean God doesn't love me? We always are trying to entertain that why question. You encounter hatred by someone who was supposed to love you, and you wonder if God also doesn't love you. You're blessed with many things in this life, with uh, possessions, with children, with grandchildren, and you might think, well, God is pleased with me. We question God's goodness like a young child who is always asking that why question. The preacher verbalizes what we prefer to keep quiet. We keep quiet and roll with the punches, but the preacher can see past our bluff. He knows the deep thoughts. These are questions that we rarely verbalize to other people. We like to keep them hidden within. We don't like to let people know that we are asking God why, that we're questioning his goodness, that we're challenging in what he is, him in what he is doing. And the reality is that we, will, we might never know, not now and not ever. And the question is, can we trust a God who doesn't give us answers? Is he hiding something? Why can't he just tell us why? Is there something that he doesn't want us to know? It's the same voice that spoke to Eve in the garden. Has God said, why, what is he keeping away from you? Dear Christians, God is trustworthy. Even though we don't know the meaning of all the circumstances in our life. We don't know if we're going to encounter hate. We don't know if we're going to encounter love. We have no way to guarantee those results. But we do know that because God is in control and He governs all things, anything that happens or comes our way is because God is working out His secret plan. Romans 8.28 tells us, And we know that those 
who love God, notice it doesn't say those who have a favorable or unfavorable circumstances. It says those who love God, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's why the Heidelberg Catechism says, the first question and answer, what is our only comfort in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully, fully paid all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. So whatever may befall us, whether it's a good providence or an unpleasant providence, we know that we are safe in our Lord and He is working out His secret plan. So this morning, if you have felt the sting of the difficulties and hardship, embrace the uncertainty and remember that God is in control. And because He is in control, we don't have to be anxious. This morning, you have thought, maybe this morning you you have thought that God doesn't love you because of your difficult life. Remember that outcomes are not the guarantee of God's pleasure towards you. Only abiding in Christ is. God is well pleased with us as Christians, not because of the outcomes that we encounter in life. God is pleased with us because He is pleased with His Son, Jesus Christ. And because we have been united to Him, God has favor upon us. We don't look at outcomes for our worth. We look to Christ. We cherish God's good gift today, embracing the uncertainties of life because God is in control. So the preacher says, life is uncertain with unending curveballs thrown our way. But in the midst of all this uncertainty, we do have a certainty. And that certainty is death. So, we see here in verses 3 to 6, that, uh, 2 to 6 rather, that the preacher is dealing with death. And he is basically saying, death is certain. Death is a guarantee. There is no way that we can escape death. We must remember that death is a guarantee. If we are going to cherish God's good gifts today, we must remember that we are destined to die. In order to draw out the certainty of death, the preacher makes several observations. He says, Death is guaranteed. Just as the uncertainty of life, even when you are righteous and wise, seems unfair, so does death. The preacher looks around and says, it doesn't matter what we do, we're all going to die. He says, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the evil, the clean and the unclean, those who sacrifice and those who abstain from sacrificing, the good and the sinner, and the one who makes an oath and the one who shuns an oath. The same happens to all, without exception. Death is the ultimate equalizer. And that is frustrating. He looks around and he says, that's just not fair. How is it that a wicked tycoon lives 80 years doing whatever he wants, and yet 
a godly missionary dies at a young age. The preacher has already made this argument earlier in the book, if you recall. In chapter 2, he says, Then I said in my heart, What happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart, This is vanity, for of the wise as of the fool there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. And he, his conclusion is, I hated life because it seems all meaningless. Because in our minds, we understand, we understand that the, die, the wicked die, but it's hard for us to understand why do godly people perish? Why, why is the reward of the godly just like the reward of the ungodly? But we must remember that it is because we have sin in Adam that we all die. Death came from one man, and from one man it passed to all, it says, according to the Scriptures. Paul tells us that since we are born in Adam, death comes to all. Look at the second part of verse 3. He says, Man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Man is continually sinning and continually living in rebellion against God. And since we have participated in Adam's sin, we are all destined to die. So, it's not only that we see that there is uncertainty in in this life, but that death is a guarantee that we all will experience lest the Lord tarry. But that's not the only thing that the preacher observes. He also observes that death is cruel because it eventually erases people. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, But he who is joined with the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. The preacher here in the beginning of verse 4 starts by giving us a teaser of what he is going to further develop in verses 7 through 10, but here he just simply states that it's better to be alive when one is compared to being dead. Even with the difficulties of life, it almost seems that it's better to be alive. And the preacher uses a proverb and he says, a living dog is better than a dead lion to highlight what he is trying to convey. Unlike dogs today who are cherished by everyone, um, dogs in the ancient Near East weren't cherished. They were seen as uh, nuisances and animals that would um, would be easily disregarded. Lions, on, on the other hand, commanded attention. And the proverb is saying it's better to be alive than to be dead because even if we experience difficulties, we still get the opportunity to experience life. 
The preacher then moves on to the bleakest part of this verse, stating the cruelty of death. And he says that those who are dead know nothing, and they have no more reward. In the first message that Pastor Eric preached, I don't know if you remember, he mentioned, he asked a question. And he, the question that he asked, how many of you know the name of your grandparents? Great-grandparents, rather. Many of us probably wouldn't be able to say their name, where they lived, where they came from. Death erased people that we're connected to. We have no memory of them. There are some of you who might know your history. Uh, Recent developments have made that much easier. But the reality is that your great-great-grandparents or go five generations previous to when you were born and try to answer who was your great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. And many of us don't know those names. Truly, as verse 6 tells us, they are erased and their love and their hate and their envy all perish with them. Forever they are gone, no more to share under the life under the sun. I lost my mom at the age of 18, 19 years ago. I have now lived more years without my mother than I have lived with her. Early on, my mother... My mother's memory lived strongly within me. In fact, one of the reasons I married my wife is because she knew my mother, and I knew that my mother would approve of her. And I can say that time and death has erased some of the memory of my mother. After her death, I would always wonder what advice she would give me when I encounter certain difficulties in life. But... As time went on, life continued, and those musings seemed to fade. I still think about her, but death has erased some of her influence upon me. Death is cruel because it eventually erases people. And lastly, death is unpredictable. That is what the preacher says in verse 12. For man does not know his time like a fish that are taken up in an evil net and like birds that are cut up in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. So death is guaranteed. Death is cruel. And death is unpredictable. There is no way that you can predict when you will die. There is no way that you can Determine when you will expire. And he compares this to a bird being caught in a snare. When I was young, I remember that I wanted a bird and my parents couldn't afford one. So what I did, I think someone showed me, I don't know who. uh, What I did is I put an empty bird cage out in the back of our yard and I opened the door and I put pieces of bread around the cage and in the cage. And 
I left the cage door open subtly so that when a bird would muse its way in, it would close behind it. And I remember one morning waking up, and behold, I had caught a bird. I had to let it go because my parents wouldn't, didn't want it. It was a crow, and it was big, and the cage was small. Uh, don't worry, I don't do this, so don't go calling Animal Protective Services on me. Um, but just like that bird who thought was just going to go in, grab a bite to eat, and all of a sudden it was snared. The preacher says that life is like that. The bird was busy going from one piece of bread to another without realizing and the bird was caught. And so too, we live our lives day to day, living out this momentary life and life can be gone. That's how death works. It's unpredictable. Just like all of life is unpredictable. That is what he said, the preacher says in verse 11, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to all of them. Normally, it's the person who is swift that wins their race, but not all the time. Normally, it's the person who is intelligent that gains the most riches, but not all the time. How many people you know to have a PhD, make more money than someone like LeBron James. It's uncertainty and unpredictability of life. And normally it's the person who watches their diet and keeps an eye on their health is the person who lasts longer, but not all the time. Death is unpredictable. A couple weeks ago, I remember talking to my father and we were chatting And my dad got the news that one of his cousins was involved in a fatal car accident. His cousin had left a shift from work late at night, and he was on his way home on a two-lane road. Somehow, a car that was driven by a woman who was intoxicated went center-left and collided with him head-on. The irony is that he was buckled up and he died. She, on the other hand, was unbuckled, was intoxicated, and survived. Death is unpredictable. So what do you think, what are we to do with this? I know it's a gloomy, uh, it's hot and it's a gloomy topic that we have here before us this morning. And the reality is that Our society doesn't like to think about death. We like to amuse ourselves and think about other things. We would rather go to a carnival than to a funeral. We would rather go to a basketball game, a baseball game, a football game, rather than to mourn the loss and think about our impending death. That's why, if you have noticed, they don't call them funeral services Uh, they normally call them celebration of life services in order to some way or another erase the sting of death. But we can't erase the sting of death on our own. The only one who can erase and has erased the sting of death is Jesus Christ, 
our Lord, who overcame the dead and rose on the third day. He is the one who conquered death, and in him, death loses its sting. There is nothing wrong with saying celebration of life services, but we do avoid this topic of death. But the preacher knows that it is good for us to ponder on the nature of death. Several weeks ago, Josh helped us look at chapter 7 of Ecclesiastes. And verse 2 of that chapter says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. There is wisdom in pondering our ultimate demise. As a matter of fact, Moses, reflecting on our brief lifespan, mentions that asks request of God to help Israel think about death. He says in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. But how does numbering our days, how does thinking of death help us get a, a, a heart of wisdom? Well, it reminds us that we won't live forever on this earth. And we must cherish what we have been given today. We cherish God's good gifts to us because we know that we are destined to die. So then if life is short, how should we live? We live by remembering God's good gifts. We relish God's joys that he has given to us today. How do we live in light of death? Look at verse 7. He says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Now, this is the sixth time that the preacher speaks of enjoying our brief and momentary life. And that seems like he is condescending. Like, it feels like... We don't understand. Why is he saying it over and over and over that we enjoy this brief and momentary life? Several weeks ago, the mayor of the city of Chicago made national headlines because she wrote an email to her scheduler where she repeated one sentence 16 times. I need office time every day. The accusation was that the mayor was being condescending and repeating her sentence over and over again in her email. I mean, we all feel that. When someone tells you over and over one thing, you feel like you're thinking that they're thinking you don't understand. But this is not what Solomon is doing to us. He is not being condescending. He is being realistic. He knows that we forget that we have a very brief life. We always think that we have more time than we really do. He understands because he lived our life. And he understands human nature. So there he says, go. This is the command. And go and do what? Live life as if it were a gift from God. How do you praise God? How do you worship God? How do you live in wisdom? You receive the gift that God has given to you. Gift. As one commentator puts it, gift, not gain, is our new model. Life is not about the meaning that you can create for your own life 
or the meaning that you can find in the universe by all your work and ambition. You do not find meaning in life simply by finding a partner or having kids or being rich. You find meaning when you realize that God has given you life in his world and any one of those things as a gift to enjoy. That is when you live in wisdom, when you realize this is a gift from the hand of God and I am going to enjoy it for his glory. So the preacher commands us to do four things. Eat, dress, love, and work. He tells us to eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. He tells us to let your garments be always white and let not oil be lacking on your head. In the days of old, when there was mourning and sadness and Grieving, you would dress with sackcloth and ashes. And he is saying, enjoy what God has given you. Don't be about the doom and gloom that so much pervades our culture. Enjoy this brief and momentary life because, because there will be a day where you can't enjoy it. There will be a day where you will be in the grave and what you could have done can't be done. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking in your head was a sign of gladness in that culture. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love. So he's telling you, relate, love others, relate to others. All the days of your vain life that has, God has given you under the sun. Because this is your portion in life. It means husbands and wives enjoy each other because this is God's gracious gift to one another. I know we can get on each other's nerves. But this is a gift that God has given to us. And we should enjoy it. Those who aren't married, enjoy your relationships. Because those are good gifts that God has given to you. We don't know when we're going to die. Therefore, we must enjoy God's good gifts as we can today. And whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. He's talking about work. And I know that work sometimes can be tedious and hard. I have felt the frustrations with work. Not because I don't want to work, it's just because sometimes you feel like if I can do this work without people, it would be so much more enjoyable. But people are a part of work, and they are also good gifts that God gives us. And the preacher has laid out four things, but you can go on and on. He he hasn't given us an exhaustive list. Go enjoy your bike ride. Go enjoy seeing the Grand Canyon. Go enjoy fishing. Go enjoy a ball game. Go enjoy what God has given to you by His mercy and grace. You might be saying to yourself, well, hold on. What about heaven? I thought, as Christians, that is our focus. Isn't heaven where we will find our lasting and ultimate joy? The answer is obviously yes. But 
We are given these temporal joys so that we can anticipate the fullness of the manifestation of the joys to come. The manna that Israel ate in the wilderness didn't free them from death, but it pointed to them from the manna that would come down from heaven, the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and he would give them everlasting life. The food we eat and enjoy will not bring us lasting joy, but it points us to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And one day, the dwelling place of God will be with man, and he will dwell with his people, and we will be his people, and God himself will be with us. And he will wipe every tear away from our eyes, and death shall be no more. There shall be no mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We enjoy God's good gifts through Christ because death is on the horizon. But one day we will experience the joys of heaven forevermore. So we cherish God's good gifts because they are given to us for our enjoyment today. So today we live in a society marked by bitterness and ingratitude. Let us be a people who live cherishing God's good gifts to us through Christ for our enjoyment because this is what God's will for us in our brief and momentary lives. Let us pray. Father, we thank you because of the good gifts that you have given to us, the many gifts that you have given to us, the merciful gifts you have given to us. Father, help us live our lives for your glory, enjoying everything that you have given to us as we live in wisdom, knowing that we will soon fade away. And help us anticipate the day when we will live in your presence forever, knowing that death has been overcome through Christ. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.